Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast. Before we get going with the podcast, I just want to thank you for all your years of listening to the many episodes here. You know, this is a passion project for me over the past few years. I love interviewing the guests that we have on here, hearing their stories of how they broke into the industry. It is so unbelievably valuable. And to keep this going and really to improve upon the podcast, what I've done is I've started a Patreon page. If you go to patreon.com forward slash MWFP, that's M for master, W for wildlife, F for filmmaking, P for podcast, then you will find my new Patreon page. Now, Patreon is somewhere where you can subscribe and join the world of Patreon and the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Patreon community. What does this do? Well, it brings some money in to help me make these podcasts because they do take time and money to produce. But also, what they do is they allow you to get bonus content from behind-the-scenes material to who the upcoming guests for the next few months are to other things like being able to choose who you want on here, ask questions to the upcoming guests, and even get extra content like catch-up conversations where I go back to previous guests from the past few years and I find out what they've been doing since I last spoke to them. Patreon is a great way to help support your favorite creators, favorite podcasts and videos and YouTubers and you name it. And basically what you're doing is you're donating to help me keep these podcasts going and also to get that bonus content. So please head over to patreon.com forward slash MWP. No, M-W-F-P, and, uh, and see if there's a tier there. They start pretty cheap, and they, there's various tiers for various levels. Check it out. See what you, can, uh, what you can do, if you can do anything at all. I would very much appreciate it to help me bring these to you in the future. But the other thing is, what I want to do is I want to get to a level where I can bring you more of these. Currently, we've just been doing them one a month. And I would love to do two of these a month, but it does take a lot of time. So many of these guests are so hard to track down and actually get on a call. Um, you know, the last few guests, actually the this episode, uh, Barend, Barend and Henk, I took months to get them on the podcast because they were always traveling the world and in places where they just couldn't jump on a call. Uh, and then also the one coming up after that. Again, it's someone who I've been trying to track down for months and months. So it does take a lot of time, energy and effort to do these. I'm sure you'll agree it is well worth it. And the podcast isn't going anywhere. This is just something to help make it something more, make it more sustainable. And if we can, let's try and get you some more episodes. Let's try and do 24 of these a year instead of just the, the 10 to 12 that currently I'm doing. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Let's get on with our new sponsor. I do have a new sponsor for the podcast, which is of great help. So let's get on to our sponsor and then on to this month's podcast episode. This podcast is proudly powered by Battleborn Batteries. Let the power of lithium take you on your journeys across the outdoor world. Battleborn Batteries is the industry's top choice for lithium-ion batteries. Reliable, safe and long-lasting, Battleborn makes the sustainable and lightweight drop-in replacement for traditional lead-acid batteries. Are you ready to make the switch to lithium and switch to green energy? If so, all batteries are in stock now and you can shop today at battlebornbatteries.com. You're listening to the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast, episode 38.
From an early age, Barend knew his life had to be one in nature. After school, he obtained a degree in photography and then proceeded to study nature conservation. He started his work career in the Kruger National Park in South Africa as a game ranger and guide, and so obtained valuable insight into the life of the natural world. The end of 2004 marked the start of his filmmaking career as a wildlife cameraman, when he was granted the opportunity to work for award-winning National Geographic filmmaker Kim Walleter. He worked on numerous productions for National Geographic, Animal Planet International, and various other broadcasters. Since, he has also worked for the IUCN and Wildlife Conservation Society. Over the years working with Kim Walleter, he mastered his skills as a natural history documentary editor, cameraman, and producer. In 2015, Barend started producing natural history films of his own, with Rooted being his first series he produced and filmed, along with his life partner, Hank Eckermans. The five-part series focused on the secret lives of some of Africa's most iconic trees and the life they support. Rooted won numerous awards around the globe and 19 worldwide nominations. Work has taken Barend to various countries like Botswana, Zimbabwe, Zambia, Swaziland, Namibia and Gabon. And over the past year, Barend has also travelled and filmed extensively in Chile, Peru and Mexico for a new nature series. Henk developed a love for film at a very young age. And to achieve his dream of becoming a successful filmmaker, he went to study at the South African School of Film, Television and Dramatic Arts where he graduated with honours specialising in editing. He won the award for Best Editor and also taught editing in his final year at the AFDA. After graduating, Henk started his career editing drama, working as head editor on two South African TV drama series for KYK Net. He also worked at Gasworks for a while, expanding his horizons as an online editor. In 2008, his travels to the rest of Africa began when he was commissioned to edit a reality series in Zambia. Since then, he has been lucky enough to work on different projects across Africa in countries like Nigeria, Kenya, Ghana, Tanzania and Niger. From there, his career only grew as he worked for companies such as Rapid Blue, MTV Africa, Masters and Savant, Urban Brew, Underdog Productions, Aquavision, Launch Factory, Lucky Bean Productions, to name just a few. He has edited documentaries, reality series, commercials, corporates, music videos, drama series, and wildlife and short films. Apart from being an accomplished editor, Henk is also a gifted storyteller and a talented graphic designer. Good evening, Barend and Henk from South Africa. Hi. How are you guys doing oh. this morning? Great stuff. Great this morning stuff. for well, me, this evening for you. It's, it's, it's evening, yeah. <laughs> Very good. Very Thanks. good. Thanks for having us. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time out. I know you guys are super busy right now in the middle of the throes of, uh, of post-production. So um, although it's the evening, I, I think Henk is probably writing scripts through the night, so I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Never stop writing. There you go. Awesome. Yeah. Well, as always with these podcasts, what we're going to do is get into the, the kind of career background, how you guys got where you are. Barend, we'll start with you and then we'll move to Henk. But Barend, tell me, what was it that led you down the path of wildlife filmmaking? Well, as a, as a kid, um, my parents always took us to the Kruger National Park, which is our biggest national park in South Africa. And from a very small age, my love for nature just started. And then I always knew I wanted to be somewhere in nature, whether it be like a game ranger or a conservationist or that kind of thing. And then in 2013 when I was like 13 years old, I saw a documentary about Derek and Beverly Joubert and their life as wildlife filmmakers, but also conservationists. And that day I decided that is what I want to do. So I, since then, through school, subjects that I chose, things that I learned 
was driven towards where I am today. So after school, I went and studied photography. So I got a degree in, in, in still photography because um, I couldn't afford to go to film school. And then after that, um, I did a degree in nature conservation because I felt that I needed that understanding of how nature works to be able to become a very good wildlife filmmaker. And then after that, after university and all of that stuff, I worked as a, as a, as a game ranger in the Kruger National Park for a few years. Um, and then basically I took a chance one day and emailed Kim Walleter which you've interviewed before. Yes, yes. And said, listen, this is my passion. This is really what I want to do. Um, if you ever need an assistant or a volunteer, this is, my de the, 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 this is my details. Please contact me. The next day, Kim contacted me. Fantastic. And said, listen, let's go for coffee. Two weeks later, I started working for Kim. Um, so I was his camera assistant for probably about seven or eight years um, doing lighting because a lot of Kim's work at that stage was um, nighttime work. Uh, we worked on productions for National Geographic called Predators at War, Hyena Queen, those kind of things. Um, but during that time, um, Kim also said, here's a camera, start filming. And um, he said, okay, his, his daughters, which were like really small, six and four at that stage, came out to, um, to the bush um, to visit him over weekends. And he said, just start filming us and see where this goes. And I did that for probably a good five years of just Kim and the girls going out with him filming every night. And we got some golden, golden stuff about them. And it eventually turned into a six-part series for Animal Planet. That's fantastic. Um, so that was my first so, sort of solo thing. Um, but also, Kim said, you are going to edit that. And I had no idea about editing film. So it, he gave me the, the, the final cut two manual which was like this thick yeah yeah and said there you go <laughs> so i what i know today about editing and color grading i taught myself yeah um and it's literally the, and that i think is the beauty of this industry it's a constant learning process yes because yeah. technology is moving the whole time there's there's new techniques coming out and you have to stay on top of the game yeah. so yeah, so for me, that was like, in a nutshell, where, where everything started. And Derek and Beverly Jabe, that that inspired me. That That's great. Yeah. I mean, it's great on so many levels. One, you were inspired by, really, who I like to call the king and queen of wildlife filmmaking. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and then that you understood that there was not only a need to understand imagery, whether it was stills or film, you chose stills, but you understood there was a need to understand natural history and to do yeah. those two different things. And, and I think so much that is forgotten these days is that, you know, because gear is now not, you know, the, the stopping point for us, it, it's not the Absolutely. barrier to entry. The people yeah. get their gear and they worry about the gear and, you know, how am I going to film this and do this? But they don't worry about actually learning about natural history. Exactly. And that's actually one of the most valuable lessons I learned from Derek. Um, he said, you can actually be the best cameraman in the world. But if you do not understand your subject and the natural history, you can forget about making a film. 100%. Yeah. Um, and it is so, so true. So, yeah. so for us, whenever we go out in the field, we spend months researching our subjects so that we understand and know what to expect. Because otherwise, you just out in space, basically. Yeah, yeah. And I should we should add to that that you did do a degree. Uh, it doesn't mean you have to. I, I never did a degree. I was lucky enough. I grew up on a wildlife park, and I, I was self-taught. Yeah. 
But it is a case that when you take something on, you just do everything you can. Like you say, you take months in advance to research, spend time in the yeah. field before you film, just understand your subject so that when you put a camera in front of it or in front of you and, you know, you have an understanding of what you're going to get and how not to yeah, exactly. interrupt that behavior. That, yeah. That's fantastic. And obviously, you know, working so many years with Kim, what what a experience and... and oh, absolutely. absolutely. And it just goes to show that, you know, you wherever you are on your journey, you, there's always something to learn, right? It, it never absolutely. stops. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Hank, let's move over and find out about your, your career path. What was it that led you along this journey? Well, uh, believe it or not, I actually didn't want to become a wildlife filmmaker. <laughs> I wanted to be an actual movie maker, a, okay. a feature filmmaker. So I wanted, my dream was to make movies. So I, after school, I went to study film at AFTA, the African Film and Television Drama School. Uh, I got, I was there for about five years and I got two degrees. Um, after that, I did a lot of drama series and eventually landed in reality TV. Um, that I got caught in for about 20 years. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a big catch. <laughs> 20 years. Um, yes. And after a while, I decided I was not, I did not want to do that anymore. Um, one of the shows uh, or places I worked was Aquavision, um, where I did reality TV wildlife. And that's where I met Barnt. And yeah. yes. Yeah, and that's actually the, the funny story how our paths actually crossed. Right. We did a show right. for, for um, National Geographic called Caught in the Act. Um, and we were both editors on, on the show. show um, but I was living in Cape Town and Hank um, up in Johannesburg. So I would do a three-month stint and then my contract would end and Hank would take over. And we did probably, what, three seasons? Yes. Like that, just taking over from each other. And then one, one year, Hank said, listen, we always work on the same show. Let's just go for coffee. And that the rest is history. Excellent. So, yeah. Uh, yeah so, no, Fantastic. It's, it's... So, Caught in the Act. Tell us a bit about Caught in the Act that you guys worked on. Caught it was wildlife-based. It's, it's wildlife based. So basically what they did is um, the research team at Aquavision found all these videos like on YouTube where people caught just filmed like on their cell phones or a little mini DV camera, amazing events that happened in, in nature. Um, and then they get experts in to explain some of that behavior. So it's, it's, it's a clip based show. Um, and they did many, many seasons of the show. Um, so, yeah, so there, there were reenactments and sort of natural history built into those, those sort of YouTube type clips sure. Um, sure. to explain actually how these animals behave in a natural way and why this actually happened. So, yeah, that was actually very, very interesting. So, so you guys were basically editing the footage that was coming into you. So, uh, so Hank, what yeah. other, what other um, you said you were in, in the reality world for 20 years. What other shows were you, were you working on? Well, basically anything you can think of. I <laughs> did Hot Talent. I did Strictly Come Dancing, X Factor, um, all the South African versions of those shows. Right. Um, I did a lot of reality TV shows in Central Africa, um, a medical show called Healthline, which ran, ran for about six seasons. Yeah. Um, anything you can think of, basically. Yeah. Um, so what was it then? So, so you, we were 20 years. You met Berend uh, editing on Court in the Act for Nat Geo. What was it then that, that you said that you had had enough of that and you wanted to do something else? What, what was well, the, the kind of turning point? Well, when we met, I basically got Barrent into the reality TV um, scene as well. And he yeah. did it for a couple of years and he hated it. He hated oh, it from, yeah, it yeah. was not wildlife. Yeah. And I also had enough. Yeah, by now. I've been down and, that road too. I, I know that feeling. 
Yeah. Uh, we 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 did one particular show, a South African based show. I, I I won't mention the name. Right. Um, with a really bad producer, and I said to Hank, "Enough. Yeah. Enough is enough. We and need to do our own." Thing. That was the tipping point for both of us, yeah. and we said, "Okay, let's do something, uh, create something that is ours, and we don't have to work for someone else anymore." Yeah. Uh, let's get out of reality tv yeah so basically we came up with an idea for rooted season one mm -hmm. um and i wrote a treatment uh about a 30 page yeah booklet of information what it's about we went into the calori and filmed a promo and we sent it to a channel in canada and yeah. that was it yeah. Well, I'd love to know, because so many people ask about this. So here you are, you've, you've got backgrounds in TV, Barend, you, you had filmed with Kim, so you had, you had a natural history background. Hank, you yeah. were kind of there, just coming more into that side of things. But mm -hmm. at that point where you're writing your treatment and you're putting your sizzle together, explain the elements that you got for that. And, and did you understand exactly what you needed? Because I think there's so many people who don't have a clue. And, yeah. you know, networks require different things. Some networks don't want 30 pages. They want a page and a half or a page or two pages. Yeah, you know? exactly. So, so yeah. What, what was it that, that gave you the, an inkling to what you had to put together? So for me, um, because of all the years that I've worked with Kim, um, he had enough trust in me to involve me in a lot of his pitching processes. Great. Um, so that gave me an understanding of what was required. Um, I, I come from a family of accountants. So budgeting for me is like I do it every day. Um, I know how to do that. I know how to cost stuff. Um, but these days, you, you will not be able to sell a project without, for instance, a sizzle reel. They want to see visually what, is, what, what your idea is, what your creative approach will be. Um, and like you say, some networks require like a one-pager some networks really want a lot of detail. And I said to Hank, okay, let's do both. We yeah, do the right. one pager, but we also go into full, full detail um, who the crew is going to be, what the creative um, approach will be, what the synopsis will be. Um, and for Rooted One, we initially only pitched it as a one hour show. Um, but then when, the, when we, we, we pitched it to Blue Ant, and when they saw the treatment, they said they really like this idea. Let's do five, ep no, six episodes. Mm -hmm. um, and we said, oh, okay. Um, and then the research started. Um, so it, we took now like you were, two. Were you were pitching it to Blue Out as a co producer or as for, for their. As a commission. As a commission as a for commission. their. Yeah, for yeah. their channels. Yeah. 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 So um, and then basically did all the research, send it to them. They loved it, and we signed the contract. And I didn't have that background that Barrent had about what to do. I had different backgrounds. So I had a, uh, I studied writing, so um, we complemented each other well because he basically told me, we need to do this, and I wrote it. So yeah. I'm not a writer. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's fantastic. When you've got the right you know, partner to be able to do that stuff with and, and you match so perfectly, it's, um, it, it, it's essential, right? Because otherwise, Absolutely. you sit there. I'm a, I'm a terrible writer as well, but, but I write. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't sell many yeah. shows because I'm a terrible. No. You know, it's one of those things you just have to, you have to work really hard on all these things. And so if you've got Absolutely. those different avenues, that's great. Absolutely, yeah. Wonderful. No. So, so you, so tell us about where Rooted Series One went, how well it did, and where that led. So, Rooted One, um, like I said, it, Blue Ant was sort of the main commissioning company, but they brought the Smithsonian Channel in as a co-producer. Um, so, the two of them uh, distributed um, basically a showing all over the world, um, and. 
Blue Ant also said, um, because it was our first production as uh, producers, yeah. we have to get um, mentors in that would kind of guide us. Um, so we got um, one of my friends actually is the, was the assistant for Derek and Beverly, funny enough. Yeah, that's correct. And uh, we showed the trailer to them and they said they, they want to do this. Yeah, so Derek and Beverly were actually the executive producers on Rooted One. Oh, wonderful. So um, that must so have been incredible for you. It was, it was incredible. Um, we were so grateful for them. Um, they, they guided us and helped us along the negotiations and all of that stuff. So yeah, that was phenomenal. So, um, yeah, and then when, I mean, that was, a, we, we filmed, so that Rooted One was a five-episode series uh, focusing on five of the iconic trees in Africa. Now, I'm, so I'm, we thought that. And I was going to go into that, and I made a note of these just so we get an idea. Of, is, uh, tell me if I've got these wrong. I've got uh, Rock Fig. Is that one of the trees? Yes. Yeah. yeah, rock fig, yellow wood, sausage tree, acacia. Yeah, correct. Camel yeah, thorn. Yes. yes. All right. And so the, the and the baobab. And the baobab. The baobab. Right. So yeah. the acacia is a camel thorn. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. so this is really interesting because I had a question come up with my mentoring group the other day, and I mentioned you guys because uh. the question was about um, I have a, a one of my members is filming a lot of uh, inanimate objects, right? And mm -hmm. they're, they're struggling because they're in a place. And I can actually, I'll, I'll say his name because I'm sure he'll be listening to this. It's Rasmus. And so Rasmus okay. from Sweden. And Rasmus okay. is filming a lot of in, inanimate objects. And his question was, how do you bring these things alive right on camera? How do you do that? Yeah. And I said, you know, that I'm going to be speaking to a couple of guys who have done a lot of that. Although they've got a lot of wildlife in there too, they're filming a lot of trees. So run us no, through, exactly. run us through what you do to bring a, a tree to life before you bring all these other kind of you know characters into it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the, a tree is a static subject. Never mind all the birds and insects and stuff that that live in the tree. You can't just show a static shot of a tree. People will get bored. So I said to Hank. Um, from for me as a as a director of photography, we have to bring movement into every single shot. We will not have a static shot of a tree in any of these episodes. So you use like cable cameras. You use obviously a lot of time lapse, motion control time lapse sliders. I mean, we put sliders and stuff up in the trees. Um, yeah, yeah. Just to I've just seen to a few of the pictures on your website, and I think on Instagram where you we, we do yeah, yeah, tables yeah. and yeah, yeah. So yeah, just anything to bring that element of movement in, um, and to show close up detail and that kind of thing. So and as uh, from a storyteller's point of view, you have to make the people relate to the tree. So you make them kind of create characters for the tree. So people can relate with them. Yeah, so, yeah. So, no, so run us through how you do that with a tree, creating a character for one. Well, a, a tree has character already. Um, you just have to look at it in the right way. Yeah. Um, I mean, some some tree species, for instance, are male and some are female. Right. Uh, so that already gives you an element to work with. Uh, to give it some sort of a personality yeah. Um, yeah. and also sometimes the, the tree might be very old it might be still very young so with with with, with the script writing we play a lot um, with with that um, to make it again relatable to 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 people that's that's also we actually, so go, sorry, we go actually assigned um, personal characters personalities to the tree like an old lady for the acacia tree and a, a, a majestic giant for the for the yellowwood tree. So the, the sausage tree was, was the Casanova. Was the seducer? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's great. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so yeah. tell us about some of the other characters because there's a lot of wildlife in here, right? You, you're really going through the whole life cycle of you know all the other wildlife that's involved around the tree. So, tell us about few of, a few of the the 
most special characters and the ones you had the most fun filming? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> well, you don't actually realize how much <laughs> uh, living creatures are around yeah. trees until you sit under, underneath one. Yeah. yeah. Um, for, 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 I think for the camel thorn, um, the, the sociable weavers that build these enormous nests um, was for me was one of the highlights um, because ants, the right? nest uh, sorry weaver ants uh, no weaver uh, uh, sociable weavers they the little birds oh you're right 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 yeah. so they build these massive grass nests um, oh, yes. and the nest is constantly evolving and that is actually a huge element in that episode because the, that nest weighs nearly a ton wow um and especially when it rains, it becomes even heavier. So sometimes it causes damage to the tree, the branch break or some part of the of, of the nest break off or that kind of thing. And they just such, such endearing characters. Um, we and had lots of snakes and yeah, reptiles. And with with the sociable weavers, we filmed the uh, Cape Cobra um, actually climbing into the nest, yeah. climbing the tree and into wow. the nest, which was. Wow. That a was great a huge scene. highlight. Yeah, that so, was a huge highlight. So, so looking at a scene like that, right? That's is that expected? Were you expecting that behavior? Yes, actually, we we, we <laughs> that yeah. was in our treatment, and we were hoping yeah. to and, film that. But the thing uh, is, you 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 wait, you right? Wait, and, and, and wait, that was going to be my wait. question. What, 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 how long from getting there, expecting that behavior, other than going and getting yourself a cobra and putting it in there? So, how so long the did way, you have to wait? The way we film these episodes is um, trees change throughout the year. So every single tree we filmed in every single season. So Rooted 2 took two years to film. Um, so Rooted 1 took two years to film. So we went to the acacia, summer, winter, spring, autumn, um, but then you're there for like three, four weeks at a time and you're at the tree basically every day. And if you're lucky, maybe just one day that snake will arrive. That happened on um, the third time we went. Yeah. So oh, wow. It was way into so that second year. You, you so it was a while before we found yeah. that, that yeah. behavior. But and that's wildlife filmmaking, it, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. And the beauty of it is we both shoot. So one of us will cover like long lanes one will cover wides vice versa and we all, all obviously constantly um, communicating yeah. so yeah. all angles are covered so no one misses anything basically uh, which is a huge help tell so, us a little bit about what you were shooting series one on we actually filmed that on the sony fs7s yeah. Um, yeah. which were really really great cameras um, we use a lot of Canon glass. Um, I'm a huge Canon fan. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah, so I, I love Canon. Um, and uh, the Sony FE7s really, really performed super well, especially in the Kalahari with that heat. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we actually had no issues with those cameras. Um, yeah, I the think... only issue we had was me spraying it with bug spray, which was... <laughs> idiotic we, move but <laughs> yeah, it kept the bugs away but did the camera stop working <laughs> it, it worked but the, the 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 paint on the camera is no more <laughs> so, so you now have the, a limited edition silver version it's it, yeah it's, yes. it's sort of a ca it's a camo version right now <laughs> that's fantastic that's probably worth some money you know you could sell that on oh, ebay as the original <laughs> camera from rooted season absolutely. one absolutely <laughs> yeah but um yeah on rooted one we probably filmed about 70 terabytes wow worth of footage yeah. um which was quite a lot uh, but that's for all five episodes so yes so yeah but, but, but you're going back every day through these seasons of a trip i mean and you've got to be rolling on something right i mean well tell oh, us a bit about that if you head out there on a day are you what's your once you've got establishing shots of that tree let's say on the first day mm -hmm. or say however long it took you to get your establishers and doing all of those shots what would you then do as you go back would you literally set up and just wait for some behavior and pick well, would you pick your species as well that day 
Or yeah, so what, what we do, we, we basically draw up a wish list um, of a specific stint. So let's say we go to the acacia and it's spring. Um, we know that this, this, and this, and this is going to happen. Let's get our tree establishers out the way. Yep. And then we sit and wait for either pollination or uh, animals coming to feed on the flowers or what, whatever the case might be. Um, but also we, we shot establishing shots every day because every day the weather is different, Yes, yes. whether there's clouds or whatever. So we would head out like four o'clock in the morning, be at the tree when it's still dark, get sunrise time lapses, drone shots, all of that stuff. And then once it sort of warms up, get, animal behavior stuff with its insects or reptiles and then in the middle of the day when the light is really bad go back to camp dump the cards log late afternoon same thing yeah um so so yeah. so i mean it almost feels silly not to do that when you're there and you know you're going to wait anyway right you might as well <laughs> film and get get Absolutely. some more in the bag right so would you yeah. log on a daily basis when you're filming yeah. that much material are you logging to know hey this is different because absolutely of this? absolutely because i'm uh, the editor i log everything and i go through every single bit of footage and type a very detailed list of oh, what we filmed that day yeah it just yeah. helps me in the end to put yeah. the story together. I mean, great you being the editor, being there filming, you know, it, it means that you get what you want when you're in the edit suite, right? As Absolutely. opposed to hoping that the producer or the camera person is doing good logging. So yeah, no, that's, exactly. Yeah, that's fine. And also, you know, by, by sort of towards the end of a stint, oh, but we still need that. Let's, let, let's go shoot that. Um, so we, we actually ticked off a lot of stuff on our wish lists as we go along, um, which, which really, it was really actually helps. a really smooth sh shoot most of the time. Yeah. So. Yeah. Have you any idea how many species that were, you, you initially found and put in the treatment or oh ended up filming? Goodness. Um, it varies. So uh, the acacia episode was probably the most varied episode species wise. Yeah. And the baobab and, and baobab. Yeah. Um, because there we had numerous birds and obviously the larger animals. So the place where we filmed the acacia episode, there were no large mammals like elephant and, and those kind of things. But the, the baobab episode we filmed in Zimbabwe, um, and they were elephant and buffalo lion, all of those big things. Nice. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would say on average, we would have close to 30, 40 different species. And that is from the smallest and to the biggest mammal and wow. birds. Yeah. I mean, so, that's, yeah. that's an incredible amount to film to get behavioral. Yeah. I mean, it's hard enough to pick one species and go out <laughs> and get behavioral shots of, of you know, unique exactly. behavior. So that's, um, that's our biggest challenge yeah. to get proper, proper sequences because you have to focus on so many things. Um, so one day you just say, okay, today we're filming elephants. Right. And I was uh, going to ask you that. Did you have any situations where you said, okay, today it's elephants, but then, uh, you know, another animal came in and did something so incredible. You're oh, like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it happens that, all the time. <laughs> Your plans go out the door many a day. So, right. Yeah, right. And, and were you guys, I mean, close enough that you could just talk to each other or are you on walkies or something? Uh, can... We're on walkies most of the time. Yes. But um, when, when there's um, like dangerous animals, like in, in Botswana and Zimbabwe, we always stayed close to each yeah, other. There were yeah. lions and elephants. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, in, in, in Botswana, where we filmed the sausage tree episode, the grass was two meters tall. Wow. So, and we would often be like on our haunches filming yeah. stuff. Yeah. And the filming one day. a great spider scene. And yeah. you're so caught up with, yeah, you yeah. don't know what's going and, around. So an elephant can walk right past you and yeah. you wouldn't know it. The so, one day we were we were working and we always parked the car like quite a like a hundred meters away, so that if we film drone shots, there's no tire tracks around the tree, and 
we finished for the morning, got back in the car, and literally 15 meters from the car were two male lions sleeping. So, <laughs> so that was quite, uh, yeah, nerve-wracking. And you guys, you know, someone like the Kruger, you were um, you allowed in there on your own based on probably your history with the Kruger? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the thing is, in the Kruger National Park, national parks in South Africa is incredibly difficult to film in. Yeah. Um, you're not allowed to drive off-road. Um, so we didn't film in Kruger at all. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, no, no, we didn't film. It. And also, it's quite expensive to film in national yes. parks in yes. South Africa. Yes. So we, we normally approach sort of private reserves or, or smaller um, reserves that, that from people that we know or whatever, that, uh, that kind of thing. Gotcha, so, yeah. You know. So you're, you're able to be out there on your own. The first series yeah. I ever filmed, I ever hosted was actually in the Kruger. It was a um, oh, show okay. on insects in the Kruger National Park. And we oh, had wow. uh, okay. uh, Dr. Leo Bruck. Are you familiar yeah, with yeah, yeah. Dr. Leo? Yeah, Dr. Know, Leo Bruck yeah, yeah. came out I, with he... us. And, oh, uh, wow. and we had to have multiple, you know, uh, rangers come out with us for everything you're yeah. just saying, you know. So, yeah, exactly. so we knew where we could go and, uh, and what we Well, if you go and film in Kruger today, it'll it'll be the same. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you, you're not allowed to go unoccupied. Sure, uh, there's always someone with you. So, yes. yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so, and obviously, the good news is, um, I think we can say that you are on. You're now in the post-production phase of Rooted Two, which is fantastic. That's I know we can't, That's we can't talk much about it, but I'm sure it's got some trees in it. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. It does. Yeah. So, so no, I mean, we we spent the last year. Um, in in south america for season two um obviously with with COVID, it was a little bit difficult to to travel um it caused many many delays for our first departure um so yeah but it happened and we got the footage in the bags which is awesome and of course with filming like we've been talking about, you know, there's always issues. It doesn't matter if, you know, you head out. It's either the weather, the environment, people, the animals, something, the equipment. There's always something that's going to go wrong, right? Um, uh, and, and then a pandemic comes along. So w what was the timing from, you know, your production phase of heading out into the field and, and the pandemic happening? So we got the green light for Rooted 2 in, I think, end of May 2018. No, yeah. no, no, 2020. Oh. Yeah. It's so weird. It's 2022 already. Sure. Um, <laughs> well, that's right when everything was kicking off, right? Yeah. So, yeah, in, we, we, we got the green light in May. Um, but then South Africa and most of the world was in hard lockdown. Yeah. We could not leave South Africa. Uh, there were no international tourists or flights in or out. And then we only opened again, I think, in sort of mid-October. Yes. And then we could only start making plans. But by that time, obviously through email, thank goodness, we could organize everything in the meantime. So all our teams on that side were on standby. Great. And yeah. then in November uh, 2020, we finally departed and started, started our work. So six, so, six months yeah. later, you had a six-month yeah. delay. And, and then, you know, November, certainly over here, it was still an unbelievably tough time. So... Yeah. How did you circumnavigate the the shutdowns around the world and the the lack of flights and and things like that? Oh goodness! So well, I mean, in the first place, there's no direct flights to South America during COVID. So yeah. from Africa, yeah. So we had to fly to Europe first, right. and then America. Yeah. So, so that's very long. It's long haul flights. It's a three day trip to wow. get to South America. <laughs> so, so did yeah, you? And this is an interesting budget question. So obviously, when things like that happen, typically there's contingency built into most budgets. But did you have a contingency for that, or did you have to absorb that extra cost? Well, the thing is, we had to absorb um, a lot of that um, into the budget. Yeah. Um, 
and I can't say too much about that sure. at the moment, yeah. uh, but there, there are allowances now for um, any sort of COVID-related expenses yeah. Um, yeah. because obviously we signed before the whole thing started really yes. taking shape. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it really ate into the budget um, or the flights. And the, the, the one thing, for instance, is we planned to, to go and then come back to South Africa, go again. So we actually planned to come back to South Africa during the whole year three times. Mm -hmm. um, and then we only came back once right. in the whole year. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, we um, basically got stuck there. <laughs> We, I, we I think stuck. I remember this because I think we were due to do this sometime around. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, we decided we, we will not come back to South Africa because South Africa again was on the red list. And if yeah. we hear, we won't be able to get back that side, which will cause enormous delays for the production. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we just decided we staying that side, continued with the work and uh, and 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 get it done so i'm well, glad we did so absolutely and, and you know being able to make those decisions yourself and, and say you know this is what we got to do this is our baby right i mean this is your project that you've put together from the onset it's series two it's done well you're now on a different continent you know, and you can make those decisions and, and say, hey, this is for the best of the production. Because so Absolutely. much of the time, productions can be so convoluted and you don't have that choice. Yeah. Someone else is making those no, decisions exactly. for you. And and, exactly. and and then, you know, I was on a production that was a, a large scale production. It got shut down and it, it that's the end of it because yeah. it's just too much with COVID. Yeah, I must say that the, the channels that we're working with was so understanding um, about the whole COVID thing and it causing delays and that kind of thing. Um, they were actually remarkable. Um, and we had full, full, full support from them. So, yeah, Which is that what was you need. Really, great. really great. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, Series 2, can you tell us a bit about gear? Have you changed your arsenal of gear for this one? <laughs> We have. Yes. <laughs> the thing is, you need with, a second with, plane uh, for the gear. <laughs> so, with 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 rooted one, obviously we could drive everywhere because it was literally driving distance. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's a two day drive or whatever. With rooted two, it wasn't that easy. So our excess luggage. So this is the crew. This is Hank and I. Yeah. That's the crew, and we should just we should uh, just um, actually say so. So, Barend, you are camera person, producer, director. Yeah, Hank, uh, uh, camera person, person, writer, editor. writer. E editor. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, there you go. All right. Yeah. So the, the, we we do everything in house. Who gets the coffee? So, he doesn't drink coffee. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so basically when we traveled, um, we traveled with 20 pieces of check-in luggage. Wow, yeah. And then um, because of, because we're living in Africa, yeah, you cannot check in gear. So all our valuable gear, lenses, hard drives, computers, we carried on our person. So wow. we probably did a total of 25 flights over the past year. Right. Our, just to get your gear backwards and forwards. Well, well just, just to, to be, travel between the to, countries oh, okay. to get the different seasons. Sure. But not once, thank goodness, did they weigh our carry-on luggage. Ah, because between the two of us, our carry-on alone was 80 kilograms, <laughs> wow. eight zero. Yeah. Right. So we had backpacks. And when you at the check-in counter, you stand up That's very right. straight. Um, <laughs> this is the lightest my bag, bag is back. not heavy. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but yeah, um, we traveled with a lot of gear. But yeah, we changed our gear. Um, we now shooting on red. Um, because I wanted, so I do the color grading and the onlining process as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I wanted the raw capabilities of the footage. Um, yeah. 
for high dynamic range delivery and all of that kind of things. Um, we scaled down on the cable cameras, for instance, uh, because of travel. Yeah. Uh, we can't take the enormous one. Um, gimbals, that kind of thing. Um, we also use smaller sliders just to make it easier for travel. Um, I'm actually amazed our sliders never got lost during <laughs> during flights because it's the most awkward thing to yeah. check in. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but I'm I'm super super chuffed with with the reds that we actually sh mm -hmm. filmed on. And, and what what type being, was it? What what flavor of red? It's, it's the it's the Dragon X, the six K yeah. version. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, so so we filmed three episodes. And we ended up with about 160, mm -hmm. 160 terabytes worth wow. of footage. Yeah, yeah. So it's and of a lot. course, it's a, it's it's not relatable in terms of the first series because red files are so much larger. Oh, so it's absolutely. probably less, lot less footage than you actually had in the first one. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yes. exactly. <laughs> so. And, and then uh, did you find that, did you lose any of the, um, you know, the style and the quality of the first with the gear you were able to have? Did you manage to achieve the same standards with the lesser gear? You I had? think, I think we actually upped our game a lot. I agree. Um, we, we added like wide angle macro lenses, the, the uh, Venus probe lens, for instance, didn't exist yeah. when we did season one. Yeah. Um, so no, I think definitely visually wise, season two is going to be way, much, way much better, more way better. Um, we've got some incredible stuff. That's so. amazing, isn't it? That, that as I say, you, you didn't take some of your biggest gear and, you know, suspending cameras and doing that, and yet you've come away with better, better gear. Well, that, that is, that is, that's actually one of my favorite things in the world to do is to research gear and design gear. So, I before we even left that that six month delay that we had before we could could leave, I started designing stuff and then three D printing stuff oh, wow. so that we could, for instance, mount cameras in trees or camera traps or that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, three um, D print. It's small. Put it together when you're in the field. Off you go. That's so, yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that, that's to, you know, being a, a camera person or a producer, you know, doing your own thing, but a filmmaker, you've got to be resourceful like that, right? I mean, I, I think all of us at some point have built, I mean, back in the day before we had electronic gimbals, you know, I would be building gimbals from water pipe and, and weights, you know, from weight training gear, right? Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. all the good old-fashioned stuff and pipe, you know, plastic pipe support systems. And yeah, all that stuff. no, exactly. My first dolly was made out of three, uh, two, I guess it's two-inch waste pipe. Oh, it, wow, yeah, yeah. it had roller blade, it had these angle brackets with roller blade wheels on. Uh-huh. And it uh -huh. sound that was the first thing I was, you know. No, exactly. Now, you but... have to be resourceful. Um, I mean, you can't buy everything. It's just, yeah. it's just insane. It so, is, yeah. Mark yeah. loves doing that kind of stuff. <laughs> I would walk into the house and he would be building a, some sort of crane out of a tripod and yeah. an extension. So. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so so let's move on to advice for people because you guys i mean it, it sounds like you've done a bit of everything right you you've you've had to be resourceful you've had obviously covid to work through which is i think the hardest thing that anyone on any production has had to deal with um, yeah. but what was so fantastic is you were still able to do it because i know so many yeah. productions around the world got shut down and no, exactly. just couldn't, couldn't exactly. do anything yeah. what would you say to someone let, let's start off with people who are starting out in the industry right first of all like you guys early on looking to get your foot in the door what what would you say is the um the best piece of advice for people in that situation? i would say um and that and that's just me and that's i'm i'm, I'm falling back on the way i started get mm -hmm. your natural history knowledge if you can um for me that is absolutely vital um for for when when we went to South America now, I was thrown into the deep end because I did not know the specific animals, 
but again, we research that. So get your wildlife knowledge if you can, and then go out and, and shoot. Whether you're shooting with your iPhone, uh, a small DSLR, practice, practice, practice. Um, that is the biggest, biggest thing. There's, there's always something out there. Um, and that's, the, that's one of the biggest things why we chose to do Rooted. There, and I'm not dissing anyone filming big animals. Um, there are a lot of f films out there about big animals, which are really important, but we want to make people stop and look at the smaller stuff as well. Yeah. Go look at yeah. a tree. There's always an insect or a bird or something that you can film. Yeah. And study it, stay with it, because if you stay and have that patience, you're going to see something remarkable. Well, and I think, you know, with what you guys chose to do, there's advantages and disadvantages. The advantage it being that you don't have to find massive amounts of behavior from one species, right? You're building, it's the building blocks of all these different things. Exactly. But the disadvantage is you've got to find that behavior of all those different things, right? So those it's a, specific little things. Yeah, that it's is a lot to do, but, but exactly. fascinating. Uh, Hank, how about yourself? Uh, advice for people looking to break into the industry? It's very similar than what Warren said. It's just get up and do stuff. I mean, don't sit and think you or you have to, this is my dream. Pick up a camera and do it. Yeah, um, that's exactly. the only way to learn. Also, the technical stuff, You a little bit of education would help. Um, Warren studied photography. I studied film. Those backgrounds did help us in the end. So... No, definitely. For definitely. me. And also at the end of the day, um, there's so many people doing what we are doing and they are more than willing to help. Yeah. Um, people can reach out, out to us, us and say, listen, when you guys are going out into the field again, may I join you? And we would gladly accommodate you. That's awesome. Come, yeah. come spend a day, a week with us, see what we're doing, ask questions, um, I can be over I in the morning. Really <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, that, that's yeah, awesome. Just... I mean, that that's what's so nice about this industry is it's very small. It's you know everyone knows everyone pretty much, and um, exactly. And it's not like as you say the reality based stuff where you know you you are just another person here there being you know and there's a lot of demands but where. This is more controlled, I think, and, and uh, more friendly. It's a more friendly environment as an Absolutely. industry. Yeah. Well, that's what I found because uh, Rooted One was the first film festival we um, entered was the Missoula Wildlife Film Festival in, um, well, in Missoula. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we went to that festival and just meeting um, everyone in the industry face to face was such a joy yeah. to to see how friendly they are, to see that there are people that they are struggling like you to hear their stories. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. You were supposed to be there, but you had your foot in a cast. Yeah, that's that right. I, I broke my leg. Yeah, that's right. I, I was due yeah, to be exactly. on a panel. That's, that's right. Yeah. yeah so I that was 2018. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I got hit by an elk. Uh, believe it or not, oh my gosh. Uh, I was filming um, actually on an FS7 and I had it down kind of on my hip, knelt yeah. down on one knee. It was 12 degrees in uh, Fahrenheit, oh, so it's below below freezing. We're on this frozen riverbed in the middle of nowhere, uh, just outside of a canyon. A helicopter's dropping these elk off that they've just neck neck captured. And, um, yeah. and, and, you know, it's just one of those, one of those things we're all, we're all there. I'm the only person on my knee. All the biologists are right behind me. This one elk, uh, female elk, as she went to get up, she slipped on the ice, spun round and just ran at me and not, oh, not for God. not being vicious or, you know, she's just running away. Um, and she hit me in the front of the camera and the shoulder and as I rotated oh. round, my leg was so planted on the ground, I snapped my own leg with the weight oh, of my body. Oh. And so, and then I was three and a half hours before a helicopter could get in to, to get me in. Oh so my goodness. That, that was the fun yeah. part. But that, and I think <laughs> Missoula was literally, Missoula, Montana, or the International Wildlife Film Festival in Missoula, Montana, was a month later. 
And, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. And, and I was doing pretty good at that point, but I, it was, they, they told me not to fly. They basically said, don't fly. Yeah. I couldn't drive. So, um, <laughs> you know, I was on crutches. And yeah, so I couldn't be there, yeah. which was a shame because it would have yeah. been nice to meet you guys in the flesh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But exactly. next time, next time. So I, Definitely. I it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens. One last thing before I let you guys go. As well as advice for new people in the industry, you guys, you know, you were in the industry for quite some time doing your separate things before you did your own projects. And I think there's a lot of people out there like that, too, who are in positions but would love to do their own thing. What kind of advice might you have for someone like that who's maybe having to look at leaving a paid position to to then pursue, you know, putting their own things together? Yeah, I think it, it, it's quite a difficult one. Um, my advice would be to try and get to a wildlife film festival and meet people, um, meet some of the executives. The executives of, of the channels, they're always willing to, to chat. Um, every wildlife film festival I've been to, chat to the people, they, they, they're willing to listen to you. Um, and yeah, just, just, just make connections. So, yeah, I would never tell someone to stop their current job to pursue a new career because that's just too risky for me. We basically, we didn't do that. Um, mm. we basically took off two months to kind of prepare our treatments and our, yeah. um, trailers True. and then we sent it off. What? After that, we continued working. Yeah, well, um, that's great advice. Yeah, right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I have so I have so I have your backup plan in parallel with your dream, and once this one takes shape, you can drop the other one. But you need to take that two months off to kind of yeah. prepare to for really your dream. do it. Yeah, yeah. and put in the time. The thing is, this is not a nine to five job; it's a lifestyle. Um, we often work till 11 o'clock at night, but like you said, it's our baby. We need to nurture it. Um, five o'clock in the morning, you're up, you're starting the renders, that yeah. kind of thing. So, yeah. And of course it's, you know, it's, it's different, uh, different parts of the production, right? Pre-production, you are writing, you're trying to get uh, that sizzle together. You're, but then there is waiting time, right? If you don't have uh, parallel uh, projects running at the same time, then you might have a few months to wait. You know, um, there's always yeah. that period of will it and won't it. I can imagine the most frustrating thing for you guys is probably getting the green light right entering into lockdown. Must have been oh. such a anti-climax. It was agony. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, was, it was really, really hard. But um, yeah. But it but worked The out. thing is, use that downtime to prepare. to prepare. And for me, I'm always learning i'm always studying i'm always doing courses whether it's a course in film business management or yeah. stuff like there's so many online resources so use your downtime to learn yeah um because no one can take that knowledge from you yeah and and i think in this day and age there's so many more resources all the time we're moving to Absolutely. a virtual world Virtual learning is where it's at so much of the time. Absolutely. We're, you know, for ongoing learning. And um, yeah. I mean, we, there's no excuses from that point of view anymore. You can always be learning something new. No, definitely. I totally agree. Guys, thank you so much for taking time out of your evening. I know it's uh, probably pretty, thank you. pretty late there in South Africa, but I appreciate it. Where are you guys now? Are you in Cape Town? You're in Johannesburg? Johannesburg. 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 Okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, it's supposed to be summer, but we have not had summer. Ah, uh, it has yeah. been the coldest summer we've had in many years. Yes. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's you know it's a funny year. We're, we've we're having more snow here right now than we've had in a decade, which which is good. I mean, uh, it should be doing yeah. that, but um, yeah. but it's it's certainly showing some different signs, which um, is good Definitely. right now. So we'll keep our fingers Definitely. crossed. But thank yeah. you again. Pleasure to have you here. And we'll all look thank out for Ruth so and Tudor. And until uh, next time. Thanks, guys. Thank, thank you. you. Have a good one. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Master Wildlife Filmmaking Podcast, then please leave a rating and a comment. And remember to subscribe to keep up to date with the series' future episodes.
You can find out more information about wildlife filming at jakewillers.com. And if you're interested in starting a career in the wildlife filmmaking industry or being mentored to further your career, then please visit jakewillers.com forward slash mentorship. Thanks for listening. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.